All right, welcome to episode 37 of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we have a very special guest. Her name is Yolanda Dene, and she's the creator of The Sassy Rant, a brand and blog that discusses the real-life accounts of a millennial woman on the verge of changing the world. Uh, it's based in New Work, Newark, New Jersey. The Sassy Rant has become a digital collection of personal survival stories documented by Yolanda, a charismatic 20-something who experiences a real whose experiences are real, raw, and relatable. Welcome, Yolanda. Hey, Yolanda. Thanks so much for coming on. So my first question is going to be about your blog. So I stumbled across your blog on Instagram, and I was like really wowed by it. And just the, sort of the whole concept behind it and the fact that it was not so much about just, just you know, a person's kind of, kind of mental health journey and stories, but also the fact that it seems like it's pertaining to or it's related to a whole community that you've built up around it. And so what was your idea or what were your ideas behind this Sassy Rant? And how come you chose that name for it? I used to write for a number of publications mm-hmm. um, some years ago, uh, and I got tired of writing about entertainers and musicians and their business and their gossip, mm-hmm. and in 2014, I graduated from my undergrad, and I was doing an internship, and I was really bored, and I'm like, I really miss writing again. Like, I've always been a writer, and I want to get back to it, but I don't want to be limited to entertainers and fashion, which is not my thing. Yeah. Um, I want to just be able to talk about whatever I want to talk about be it relationships or um, stress or my anxiety or anything. I just didn't want to limit myself. So I sat for a few days and was just, you know, scrolling on a pad, um, looking at names and looking at areas that, you know, were important to me. And I just came up with a sassy rant. I'm a little sassy. People say it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was cute. And <laughs> it just started off as being my way of just talking about whatever I wanted freely. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't expect the sassy rant to be what it is now mm-hmm. um, and it, it honestly just started because I missed writing and I just didn't want to write for other people and did you feel like writing was an outlet for you like maybe when you felt like um, like there were times that you couldn't talk to people about certain things or certain aspects of your life always so yeah. I'm an only child mm-hmm. um, and early on um, for most kids would be you know they have those stories of like neighborhoods um, running around or going to the park after school and things like that I never was that kid mm-hmm. I was always my parents and other worked in the doctor's office so I would be with her um, and she, she would have me typing on Mavis Beacon if you're old like me mm-hmm. <laughs> you remember like that typing program um, and typing Mavis Beacon and reading and constantly writing her book reports about what I read so writing was always like my safe space to express myself whenever and I said recently on, on social media mm-hmm. when language tells me um, words are always there to help me get the message across oh what does that mean? Um, when I, I'm lost to words, if, if I'm overwhelmed with sadness, I'm overwhelmed with joy and trying to get people to just understand what I mean, mm-hmm. um, sometimes I'm saying it not, may not necessarily translate to them, but I can write out exactly what it is. So there's no confusion. Yeah. I like that. Like you're, you're able to get out those emotions into words. Yeah. yeah, and what's so cool about your writing is the fact that it's so intimate and I mean I think that like for the most part I mean outside of obviously kind of just writers that you're sort of um, I mean more professional writers who kind of write novels or whatever which are a lot of times about their own lives so I mean you don't really see that much especially in kind of our digital age that for the most part I mean it's like what you said before that writing is like it's kind of gossipy and it's about kind of whatever topical issues sort of pertinent and it's sort of political a lot so it's pretty much like combative or, and clickbaity yeah clickbaity yes that's the other thing and so 
so I mean, what sort of responses have you gotten from your intimate like work? I mean, how do how do people sort of um, I guess feel about the fact that you're so open and you're so honest about your feelings and experiences? People enjoy the transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some people who are closed off naturally. Those people will tell me, I think you're sharing too much. You're mm-hmm. telling people too much about you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like being a private person myself, um, I'm only going to share the parts that I feel like can help other people. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to talk about so much of my anxieties, or I'm only going to talk about so much of the way that death affects me. Yeah. Because I think other people out here who feel how I do, who are experiencing the same things and are looking for something relatable, not just a generic, like you said, a clickbait article, and you click it and you're scrolling for 10 and 12 pages of nothingness and ads. And, you know, so my, my, my writing for me is just that. It's just writing. Like I said, I got into this not because I wanted to get paid for writing. I, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I'm pay me for writing the cool, but <laughs> right. I'm not interested in ads. I don't follow, like, Google Analytics. It's not my thing. I do it because I like it. Um, and I just look for ways for people to connect and writing is, is my way of connecting with people. Yeah. And how did mental health become so significant for you? The topic. Okay. <laughs> uh, in college, um, my freshman year, my grandfather passed away very, very suddenly. Yeah. Um, it was one of those things where I had talked to him maybe two days before the day that he passed away. Um, I called him to pick me up from school, which was not uncommon. Um, and then I hung up the phone and said, you know, I'm not going to call him. My friends are all transferring at the end of the semester, so I'm just going to stay here for the weekend. I never stayed in college, like, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, pick and I'm like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go. So I hang up the call. And I do it three times. Um, and I just said, you know what, I'm just going to stay here um, in school and stay with my friends. And then a few hours later, I just got a call. My father was like, I need you to come home. Um, I'm on my way to come get me. And I'm like, you're not going to tell me what it is. I'm bothered coming up because I'm not leaving. Yeah. And he, um, he called back and he told me that my grandfather had passed away. And he and I were very, very close to see on my social media. He was one of my most favorite people in this world. Um, and when he died, it impacted me greatly. So I had just started to see a counselor in college because you know that transition from high school to college, like sometimes a little tough. Um, so I just called a counselor once or twice, and I'm like, you know, what can you really teach me? I'm a black girl. I'm from the hood. It's nothing. We're not relatable to each other. You can't tell me anything about the way that my reality is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I had him just a few times. He was a nice guy. Famous man. Um, my grandfather died in the funeral home in the basement with my nana and my father. And I'm like, I need to call Ben. And I called him and I said, you know, my grandfather just died. Can I come see you? And he said, I'll be here tomorrow. I got involved with this club called Active Minds that basically um, tries to take away the stigma against mental health on college campuses. Mm-hmm. And that point on, this was May um, 2011. I had gone to counseling every single week, winter break, spring break, summer break, up until I graduated in It was really big for me to just have somebody to talk to. And at first, you go into these things where it's like, you don't look like me, you can't understand where I'm coming from. Because the perception that we have, 
these same people in our communities, people who do look like us. And, you know, they kind of shun the idea of telling your business airing your dirty laundry to other people. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I go into the space and I don't feel, I don't feel like I have to be on the set. I don't feel like I have to put on a strong face and speak a woman and have it all together. I can cry in here. I can ugly cry in here. But, mm-hmm. um, and I can just tell you, like, my real fears. I can tell you things that I can't tell other people because I'm afraid of what the profession is going to be. I'm afraid of what their responses will be to me. So from that point, just, just focusing on my overall mental wellness and not looking at mental health as, oh, you're crazy or, oh, you have, I don't know, bipolar, you have bipolar disorder or you're schizophrenic. Like, the same way you take care of your physical body is the same way like your mind needs that same type of fitness and that same type of structure and work that you put into it. Yeah. Yeah. And Yolanda, can you please hold the mic a little bit closer to your face? Yeah, it's okay. It just. But yeah, like I, I can't, I can't blame you for like having that initial reaction. Like even myself, like uh, me doing the show with Leon, who's a psychotherapist. If, for example, somebody recommended to me to go to see a therapist, I also actually have that initial reaction where it's like, I don't know, like I don't want to like you said, like air out my dirty laundry or tell someone my personal business or like, how do I know like how they're going to like judge what I say if they have the right, like kind of look at it. Right. But then one thing I also realize is like when you spend time with somebody and you get real vulnerable and you start talking about like what you feel or they start giving you suggestions about maybe like, um, ways to tackle things or they just listen to you and they're there for you it, it kind of changes it, it kind of like makes it that like you said like a p- place to be vulnerable like you don't have to be like superman or superwoman or anything like that right. yeah and there's an acceptance there's an acceptance mm-hmm. yeah yeah and yolanda you feel do you feel like in your community like um i guess the idea is when it comes to mental health that i mean i guess and i i would just i guess i mean i'm sorry i have like a lot of ideas going through my mind right now so my uh, my i guess my question is do you feel like in your community the ideal was to be strong like pretty much at whatever at all costs and whatever that means you have to be um it's a survival tactic yeah and it's one of those things where if you walk around and you look like people can mess with you people mess with you. Mm-hmm. If you look like a victim or a target, you will be made a victim and you will be targeted. So you have to constantly keep yourself together to survive. Yeah. And so when you started writing your blog, did you feel like that was a way for you to kind of break down those barriers or to contribute to it? Honestly, it wasn't even it wasn't even a thought process. I've always just had a kind of kept these things separate. Um, my interest in healing um, as far as the community goes and work within the community. I never really correlated it with my writing in the beginning because like I said, I've always been just entertainment, entertainment writing. And of course, I wrote short stories or I wrote poems, but those aren't things that I I posted online or things that I shared or or performed anywhere. This was always a separate part of my being. Mm -hmm. It was always more so just music or... um, arts or fashion or whatever but it never really was a correlation between the two so in the beginning no it wasn't really um that that plain yeah and how did it transition or how did you transition from it um 
I think it was the one time I took a break from the blog. Mm-hmm. Just because life happens how life happens sometimes. And I just took a, a long break without posting. And when I came back, I felt like I had to keep tell people that there's a reason why I've been gone mm-hmm. um, and just a real reason not hey guys life happens or you know let people know that it's, it's not all smiley faces and sunshine sometimes mm-hmm. and that it's okay to, to not be okay it's okay to tell people that you need help um, and it's alright I think people people are more perceptive um, and more open to the sassy rant and open to me and accepting me that time after time because I'm open and I let them know there's a reason why I've been gone. I've been gone because I haven't been okay. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like it's made it or made it easier for your friends or just pretty much in the broader community for people to find their, to kind of, I guess, find their own sort of, um, I guess, a courage. I mean, for that's the best word I can kind of think of, like the, their own kind of courage to open up about what's going on with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even if just to me, even if people are just, um, sending me DMs or sending me a text, hey, I read that post and it's happened to me um, this last, I think it was in late December, maybe early January, I had posted um, something on the blog, and, you know, similar to what we're talking about now. Yeah. And I had someone text me and say, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly where I've been. I've been in the dark space for the past few months and I haven't told anybody about it, but I appreciate you for, you know, opening up about it. And, you know, that person just kind of talked to me for a little while and just let me know what was going on with them. Mm-hmm. So, it, it is, a, it's becoming like a healing space for me, obviously, but for other people as well, which is something that's important to me. Yeah. And what did it do for you in terms of the way you saw yourself, like kind of writing the blog and getting the great feedback that you've received? Um, I mean, I... Tough question. It is a tough question. Yeah, I hear you. That's one of those things where, like I said, I never, let me step back. So doing work um, to help other people is, is never something for me that's been, this is a super grand gesture mm-hmm. that deserves recognition or that deserves reward. It's always been second nature to do for other people when I can, to help other people when I can. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it does help them, it's not something where I'm like, feel really good about this mm-hmm. it's more my standards this is what we're supposed to be doing so i never really look at it like you know i'm doing such a great thing if people are impacted and, and people are healing and people are finding their own voices then good they should and you know my only hope is that they use those voices to help other people to do the same yeah i like that too because then it becomes like a ripple mm-hmm. right like one person helps one person then they help some more people then those people are inspired they help more mm-hmm. and eventually you have kind of like this movement going on yeah pretty much yeah yeah mm. and i mean yeah especially for the kind of acceptance and the kind of this sort of like guess the stigma around what it means to experience any sort of level or any degree of mental illness do you feel like, I mean, kind of over time, it's just in terms of your experiences, do you feel like people are becoming more open about their experiences? Absolutely, especially over the, the last maybe five or six years. Um, and I don't know if this is the increase of um, exposure mm-hmm. on social media, um, which I think sometimes, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. I do think it's allowed people to connect more with each other um, in ways that we've never connected before, whereas... You know, you may just only have access to your immediate circle, and none of those people 
um, have experienced what you've experienced, but you can find someone across the world on a, a, a podcast or a blog or a YouTube, whatever, and that person be going through the same thing that you're going through and connecting over ways like that. So I think, you know, that's a really important thing that we're able to just connect more now than we have been before. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, I, I really relate to that, actually. Like, I, I get, like, how if you're on social media, like, yeah, there's new problems that kind of come with it, right? Like, everybody's on their phone, all that, and there's we've heard that argument all the time. Yeah. Now. But mm-hmm. the other side of it, which I like, is, yeah, like, say you're on, uh, for example, Facebook, or let's say Instagram, mm-hmm. and you find some kind of page, let's say... Uh, one that just pops up to the top, like top of my head. Sure. It's like what psychology? Not even psychology today. Let's say uh, there's another one, some more spiritual one. It's like higher perspective. Okay. So they'll post like these memes, right? Like quotes and certain things that like you don't really get in your everyday. Mm-hmm. That kind of and there's people sharing them and like people who are really into it. It kind of lets you know that there's this community of people that are definitely about healing Mm -hmm. and also about like different ways to approach how to think about life issues Mm -hmm. and because it's not what you get in your everyday like you find this resource like online that could like really kind of broaden your world and make a change like Mm -hmm. for me definitely did like back in the day used to be really not to say too much but whatever i used to be like a little neurotic or Mm -hmm. like anxious all that right Mm -hmm. and like things like that on top of other things like good movies good people uh like good conversation like they kind of brought me out of it Mm -hmm. and it's cool that like we have the internet as like one of those resources right definitely yeah Yeah. and so yolanda uh, one of my favorite quotes from your blog and it's okay with you i'm gonna read it so um so and it definitely kind of pertains to what we were just saying in terms of like the community building right and the sort of building acceptance within ourselves and obviously interpersonally with one another so you wrote (coughs) in terms of an experience that you had um in terms of a kind of you know i seem like i obviously don't want to say anything too clinical but it kind of seems like you were in a depressive episode at the time and so you wrote, I just needed some time to sit in my brokenness, to crumble beneath my anxiety, to find my rest in my darkness. As we finished out the last days of this decade, do your best to, pre- to be present with yourself. Reset when you need to. Set boundaries and standards for yourself and others and stick to them and continue to grow through whatever life presents you with. And so why I love that so much is it's literally an acceptance of whatever it is that your experience is. And so sometimes I feel like what, what a lot of people, at least this is kind of from my profession and just also kind of just people like know what people struggle with from um, from my perspective is that pretty much an acceptance of what they're going through like they feel like they have to always put on a show and be something that not necessarily that they aren't but maybe that they're not feeling at that particular time right so I mean all of us obviously were happy at uh, multiple times in our lives right and throughout the week or whatever right sort of we're feeling kind of exuberant and jubilant and then there are times where we're sort of a little bit more I don't know kind of emotionally stable but the idea is that sometimes people feel like even when they're not feeling that inwardly that they have to present it outwardly right kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about being strong and so what's so cool about your quote is it was pretty much it was a rawness that you said that you don't have to be that person all the time because it's just it's not real and it's not healthy that the person you need to be is literally just the person that you are and so how did where did you find the strength from, from to pretty much to say that to put that out there uh, from august until probably late december mm-hmm. life was just Life was kicking so hard. Um, And sometimes you just have to bow out. You have to bow out sometimes and just 
you know, they say pick your battles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, constantly show up for yourself. But sometimes you just have to sit, like I said, sit in the brokenness to figure out not so much as why is this happening to me? Why is life being so unfair? Why is life being so hard? And just approach things with what am I supposed to get from the situation? Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much where I was. Um, as you may have seen, cocktail conversations usually happens every October. Mm-hmm. It did not happen last year. Yeah. Um, and I'm still like really sore in my heart about that. Mm-hmm. Um, cocktail conversations, maybe, and that was, you know, just another thing piled onto this whole August to December um, type of cloud I was under. And, you know, I just got to a point where it's like I'm not rushing to do a post of all the great things I did in, in 2019. Mm-hmm. I'm not rushed to post of all the great things that are coming in 2020. Because right now, I don't, I don't, I'm not in such a great place. I'm not happy right now. And I don't feel like my best self. And I don't feel like this is the greatest year. Yeah. And I, I don't know what's going to happen next year. And I don't want to make you all these promises of things that I'm not sure I can do again. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's just, like you said, just accepting where I am at this moment. Because everybody on social media shows you their best selves all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not the truth. Yeah. It's like, I'm not, I'm not always razzle-dazzle. I'm not that person. I'm very chill. I'm very laid back. I'm very silly. I like to laugh a lot. Um, I don't follow the rules of aesthetics. I don't follow, like, structure when it comes to posting. It's not me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I can connect with people like I said earlier just to be authentic to myself if today I have something good to tell you about then I'll tell you about it but if a month goes by and I don't have anything worthy to share with you then I won't share and that's okay we shouldn't feel pressured to conform to this imaginary standard that nobody knows who created the standard or what this so-called norm is it's no. only it's just an illusion and we feel pressured to fall into these spaces or you're a blogger, you have to be like this. Or you talk a lot about mental health, so you have to think like this. You have to constantly be okay. Because people are coming to you, so they can feel okay. Yeah. But it's I, like, I have to go through my cocoon. I have to be in that darkness for a while. I have to sit in it to come out with a better understanding and a better appreciation. And I think other people go through those same types of phases and cycles in life. And it's important that we let people know that this is normal. It's not... It's not a rarity that this is happening. You're not the only person. And it's okay. You know, and sometimes people go to us like to look for a kind of, I guess, feedback in terms of like strategies. So because sometimes when I write blogs, I mean, they're not pretty much happy and they're not sort of like, here's what you can do, like five tips for this or three strategies for that. Right. So it'll just be kind of an assessment of what a problem is or well, let's say, I don't know whether it's a more global problem, whether it's a more personal problem. But the idea is it's just my experience. Right. Or pretty much either my experience or something that kind of research shows that's going on in the community or in the broader community. But the idea is I would write about it and then I would get feedback from someone who would say oh like how dare you put out like what the problem is and make all of us super depressed and then like not write a solution for it or not give us a strategy and I'm like what I mean, first of all sometimes I can only do just that I can just diagnose a problem I don't have the solutions just because I have a blog and just because I have certain credentials does not mean that I can figure out the world's problems most of the time I can't even figure out my own problems but it's interesting like how kind of we've been primed for this and it's like for most of the so I think 
think for, I don't want to say most, but a lot of people who go online, it's not so much that they want to hear sort of real stories or kind of like identify or empathize with other people and kind of learn about themselves. They want like tips. They want five strategies for reducing depression or here's how you can feel better about yourself, right? Like that's why the self-help industry, which I'm not against on the whole, but there are like many parts of it where it's like, it's just like, come on, man. You're writing books on like how to improve your self-esteem, how to decrease depression, how to make yourself more attractive to X, right? How to make yourself a better part, like all of these different things, which are wonderful. And I definitely think they could have their own place. But sometimes what people want is just that. But they're like, stop giving me the problem. I know what the problem is. Like, just give me a solution. And I'm like, well, you know what? Sometimes the solutions that you get online, like these different simple tips, most of the time they don't even really work. The work that people like a lot of times need to do is actually go dig and deep, go digger or dig deeper into their own sort of psyche and into their own problems to figure out what the hell is wrong with them. But yeah, but we pretty much were kind of spoon-fed sort of self-help and was spoon-fed positivity and kind of told like, hey, like, no, this is this is kind of like the right way to live. And then that also puts pressure on people, making them think like, oh, if there are all of these solutions online, that means I have to be happy that it's on me. So if I'm not happy, I guess it's my fault. I'm not reading enough self-help articles. Mm. So I'm, I'm with you. I agree with sure. that. I know you got a counter. But here's the thing, though. <laughs> when you're being raw and real mm -hmm. and you're sharing your experience even if it's like dark like mm -hmm. super dark right mm -hmm. that's relatable to people mm -hmm. still there are people who look for that and want to feel like they're understood sometimes that's where the healing is right it's not in like here's the tip to you know solve all your problems but sometimes it's about like hey this is what happened to me this is like really messed up this is how i felt about it this is how I'm trying to deal with it or maybe not even trying to deal with it just like this is what happened mm -hmm. and sometimes somebody reads it and they're like yo you know sometimes that like something like that happened to me before yeah and I, I'm happy I know that I'm not the only one who has this thing going on mm -hmm. so like there there's that uh, it doesn't always have to be like oh here's a solution or mm -hmm. something like that um, I think though just to be a little nuanced right like sure. those those solutions right like sometimes it helps some people it depends where you're at no most definitely but yeah but that's a that's not where we're at in the yeah, combo. Yeah. No, but I definitely agree with you. It's just that sometimes I don't have them to give. And so sometimes the feedback that I get is like, oh, why are you making us depressed? I'm like, I'm not making you guys depressed. I'm literally pointing out something that's true. Well, that's like a, it's probably like, I wouldn't call it a troll comment, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's like not one of the people who's obviously going to take the value from your post, right? Yeah. But like, yeah. yeah. Part of that also wants the instant fix. Yes. Fix. I'd be able to go online and be like, okay, this is going to make me feel better. And, you know, not to dig at the, the self-help industry, but it's a business. Mm -hmm. So there are millions of books with the same recycled information um, designed to get you super excited. I don't know anybody who's ever finished a self-help book, honestly. Wow. wow. Um, so excited at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then find yourself falling back into whatever darkness or whatever cloud that you were under and I'm going to go buy another book. You know, someone said I should buy this book, but now you have a shelf full of these books that aren't really helping because like you said, you have to dig deeper. Sometimes, sometimes it's just the answers aren't there. The answers aren't online. The answers aren't internal. Yes. And if you don't pack all of the things that you think it could be the simplest thing. You just, just feel like, you know what? I'm just so upset today because 
I, I had a hole in my pocket. Let's say. Yeah. You had a hole in your pocket. But it's deeper than a hole in your pocket. If you don't really sit back and think about it, and it's like, I had a hole in my pocket because I pulled out the thread. And, you know, these pants are really important to me because my so-and-so got these for me 10 years ago before they died. Yeah. If you don't really sit sometimes and think what it is that is really bothering you, it's less the pocket and more the symbolism of not being able to have the pants anymore. Yeah, absolutely. That's the... You know, you're kind of just walking around in a funky mood trying to go online to figure out, hey, why don't you have an answer about this hole in my pocket when only you really know the answer. Yeah. And I, I like what you said before. Like, sometimes it's it's you need to have like that period of isolation to like really think and process like what's what's going on in life like what's you know how do you feel about things like what's your next action like sometimes like yeah if you're expected to like i gotta post this because it's this day or it's this week and it's time to post this thing or i gotta do this event because it's that's the time for it right but like if you if there's things that you need to um think about and deal with sometimes sometimes that's even more valuable because like what happens is when you come back from that the things the the insights that you bring or um like yeah the the insights that you bring like who you are as a person is is different after that like sometimes you need that period of isolation to like find out who you are instead of being stuck in the what's a in how automatic everything is Mm -hmm. yeah yeah most definitely and it kind of also seems like when we when we kind of think about like problems, a lot of times like they are super surface level in our minds, right? So it's like, oh, well, my problem is that I don't have enough money or my problem is that I don't have a particular car that I want or my problem is that I don't have a particular job that I want. But what I like about what you said, Yolanda, is exactly that's what it is. It's symbolism, right? So it all means something to you. So nothing has any real external value, right? It's pretty much the values that we assign to it. So sometimes when people get like, and I don't... I don't mean for this to be like a whole like rant about the self-help industry. Unfortunately, that's what it kind of seems like it's becoming. We're going to make a clip. Later. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I mean, but the idea is like when people do turn to self-help, it's more for stuff like that, right? Like how to think and grow rich, right? Napoleon Hill. Like that's a bestseller in the self-help industry. And then you pretty much have like um, sort of how do you sort of feel better about yourself, like things to feel like to focus on, right? And pretty much it's affirmations, right? Uh, affirmations more nuanced i get it sometimes they're effective understood right but the whole thing is with affirmations if you don't really believe them they're not going to work you have to actually figure out like why is it that you don't believe those things in the first place rather than just repeating themselves them to yourself over and over again and it's like and when it comes to being rich right or rather being poor that means something to you because poverty means something to the people within it it's not just poverty right Mm -hmm. so it's like if the idea is that social mobility in a country is let's say virtually non-existent or very limited or very rare then what's going to happen is if you're reading a bunch of books on how to get rich right you're never actually going to fix whatever the problem is which is literally the way you see yourself based on your poverty Mm -hmm. and likely other factors too because it's never just one thing and so i mean if i could kind of think about or i guess form a question out of this i wonder so yolanda do you think like when you created the cocktail conversations that and sort of when you try to foster the community around that did you feel like one of the major goals was it was not only obviously to build a community up but to get sort of people to see themselves in a much different and a much healthier light to kind of see what they had to offer and what their strengths were for one another so cocktail conversations um the first one our theme was sisterhood amongst women of color mm-hmm to basically combat the way that black women are perceived online 
um, on television. And it's like, I don't know black women who are going against each other. Mm-hmm. not my reality. I don't see this. I see this on TV. But this is not the whole of us. I don't know women who are not supportive because we are supportive of each other. This is you're watching or you're scrolling past one percent of who we are. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't even reflect who we are. This is not this isn't us for the most part. Um, so I wanted to just bring women together from all different industries, all different walks of life, um, to just have a conversation and say like, Hey, we are look, we're all here. Mm-hmm. We're all supportive of each other, like this isn't our reality. And um, a cool part about Costco Conversations is that I'm very particular who the speakers are, mm-hmm. um, the guests that I, I market to, mm-hmm. because I like for everybody to be able to walk away with resources from other people. Mm-hmm. Our vendors, be it our sponsors, um, just, you know, if you're going to come there, you're going to connect with somebody. Like, mm-hmm. It may be a photographer that you need, it may be someone who does meal prep, it may be someone who has counseling services or a wellness center. But you're going to walk away not just um, with valuable um, knowledge from our speakers, but from each other, the people that you're sitting with at your table. Like I always encourage them to, you know, bring your cards and talk to each other and network with each other. Mm-hmm. And going from this table to this table, you're like, hey, did you know that this person does this or this person does that? Because mm-hmm. more times than not, if I don't, I look at the guest list and it's not, you know, a name that I know. I'm gonna stalk you a little bit on social media mm-hmm. to see who you are. Mm-hmm. And then just know about what it is that you did. So that way, you know, other people are, you're being a resource to others as well as other people being a resource to you. Oh, that's so cool. And so what are the, what are the other topics for the cocktail conversations over the years? Uh, so the second one was black male masculinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine had a book called Social Trail, A Reality to Black Male Masculinity. Tracy mm-hmm. was a great book. It gives a lot of insight. Um, even as a woman, you know, not specifically for men, mm-hmm. uh, but it just taps into masculinity and how we have these ideas and perceptions of what it is because nobody ever really defined it. Mm-hmm. So we have to have this idea that he's tough and he has muscles and his voice is deep and he's strong. Mm-hmm. He's masculine. Yeah. When masculinity is more state of mind than it is the physical state of being. Mm-hmm. Uh, second year um and then the third year which would have been last year which is now october 17th 2020 so if you guys can come oh that's so dope oh yeah no that's 100 um this year we're talking about um addiction mental health and trauma within urban communities oh that's really cool okay and who are the speakers um those have not been announced just yet okay um hope to have them announced by me. Okay, cool. And so in terms of the, the topic of black masculinity, I mean, I guess, what are some of the ideas that were, I guess, espoused? And then also, I guess, was there was there a kind of broader conception of what that could or should look like? Um, I think everybody kind of came into it with what they thought made masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I did too. And it, it just stemmed from a conversation I had with a friend before. And he Mm-hmm. Because you think that's what masculinity is. Like, you think that's what a man is. Like, duh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, no, it's not. Um, and it's more about the responsibility. It's more about the way that you are 
respectful to others and the way that you are respected by others, how others perceive you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you guys copies of the book. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, cool. Um, I don't want to give it all away, but you should definitely check it out. I'll send you some information on the theme and on um, the books and his podcast and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think that after the dialogue ended, it gave a lot of insight into the ways that we create this false narrative mm-hmm. and then complain about the behavior of men sometimes when they're, they're only trying to live up to a false sense of reality that yeah. we as a whole have created. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, I mean, because it, we can kind of trace it also back to sort of the idea of patriarchy. So, um, I mean, pretty much like we know social norms are for the most part created by men. I mean, that's kind of how it's been throughout the centuries. And so, and I remember when I was like a kid and I think I either wrote about this or I said this before that, um, pretty much like for me, it wasn't so much like, so, I mean, the camaraderie and the brotherhood of obviously of other dudes was important, but the thing that made me the way I was, and I was like a, like a kind of an awful kid, even though my mom might disagree with you. I thought like I was, I was kind of like a troublemaker and I would like, I would just do things that were pretty just outlandish, just like for attention and kind of for whatever recognition I would get from whoever cared at the time. And so for me at that point, I remember I, I was thinking, well, I don't, I guess, yeah, no, I was aware of it at the time that for me i did it for girls man i did it like more so for girls than i did it for like the group of guys and because i think that's what i thought that girls wanted and i remember like a lot of us like whenever we were considered to be like too cowardly or whatever and we were rejected like that really hurt our feelings we were like oh my god no we need to be tougher you know to get these girls because speaking symbolically girls symbolize to us not only masculinity and sort of validation of it but they also symbolize status and worth to us so we knew that in order to sort of get the girls obviously to you know to be those uh, I guess kind of lofty people we thought of ourselves as being or wanting to be that we pretty much had to be or perpetuate kind of these frauds right become these people who we it's just it's impossible to live up to it's like you can never I mean you can be masculine in terms of that ideal some of the time but you're not going to be that most or all of the time it's just it's not it's not feasible but so kind of going back to the idea of kind of patriarchy so what happens is obviously sort of as kind of guys pretty much dominate the culture then you know they kind of perpetuate these standards and obviously teach them to their daughters and then their daughters are like oh hey like this is what's super attractive to me because it's kind of like what my dad is even though my dad is like really mentally unhealthy and unstable and he's kind of an asshole a lot of the time but this is like what i like because this is what i think love is and then it's like unless somebody or like a group of us kind of get together and break those cycles what's going to happen is it's very hard for obviously young boys you know from my perspective to break out of but it's definitely even hard for girls to break out of because like how do you break out of something that's been culturally imbued in you like from the time that you're what from the time you can even think literally so you're told over and over again that oh this is a real man that this is not a real man and then you carry that with you i mean how do you just challenge that without some exterior source telling you oh hey no by the way there's actually a different way of looking at it and the sort of the guys who are more nurturing and who are more sort of um collaborative and who are more community oriented like these are the people who are the real men because that's the hard thing to do to sort of huff and puff your chest and try to be tough and to try to go beat someone up that's actually easy that stuff anybody can do but to actually sort of to navigate yourself and to navigate your emotions and actually have self-discipline that's the hard part to stick around for your kid right because like my father left me when i was like i don't know two years old right that was easy anybody can do that ike has other children god knows where because anybody can do that Mm. but to actually stick around 
around and do things that are like really require some adulthood or some sense of responsibility that's the hard stuff but in our culture we're taught like no 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 it's the guy who pretty much who gets all the girls right that's kind of what we were brought up with and it's the guy who kind of cheats on the girls right because it's like oh like he's such a real man but what about the dude that actually stays when you know what he has the temptation to leave and what about the dude who actually stays when he has a temptation to be an asshole but he's like nah you know what like that's not a part of my moral code right and it's like it's something that we kind of have to reframe and refocus on Absolutely. yeah and um that's probably the the purpose of like of like of this podcast or of this like of these kinds of conversations or like uh or the cocktail conversation events like yeah. this is kind of what could get into people's minds and then kind of change how it is they think about like for example this one topic masculinity right, right? Mm -hmm. on top of other things like addi addiction or just like other things in the community mm -hmm. but like um yeah for example to flip an adult like to flip like how they think about things it's doable it's definitely possible but that one's very tough yeah it's definitely easier to uh teach children uh like a, a new way to think about things right. like kind of like from top down right, right? and oh i love that you said that can i just intervene with please, one little yeah, quote yeah. so it's interesting because there's this great quote by frederick Douglass. i don't want to butcher it but it's something along the lines of it's much easier to uh, pretty much to teach a child right to become like a good something along those lines so it's much easier to like teach a child right than it is to save a broken man yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and the thing is uh yeah the, the reason why um like these kinds of talks is important because like then it'll get into people's heads and like be able to teach like the next generation like how to kind of treat each other what what's a a, a good definition of masculinity yeah. like how should you behave what what is femininity how should both um you know how do how how do both relate and how should they relate and kind of like teach more about that instead of kind of letting things be random and kind of dictated by the culture like kind of arbitrarily because mm -hmm. like some people will get it right like mm -hmm. some people like you'll look at somebody and be like that's all right that's a man right or like oh that's a woman mm -hmm. like whoa okay but then like that's like not every it doesn't have to be everybody but you know what i'm saying it's not like enough cases of that where it's like the normal thing the mainstream thing mm -hmm. yeah and like you want to change that mainstream narrative and it, it is definitely possible because it actually has changed throughout the years uh, so there is still ways to kind of not not mess with it but you know what i'm saying like, like to restructure to restructure yeah. wow there you go <laughs> yeah see i said mess with it this is restructure it's a better way yeah <laughs> and, and the whole thing is so what i love about your concept of cocktail conversations is that as i'm sure kind of all of us know that for the most part our days are kind of like not necessarily focused on survival but more so they're kind of humdrum right so it's like so if we know from the clinical or just kind of just whatever not even just clinical right the broader form of psychology that beliefs are the foundations of everything that we do think feel right so they are the foundations of essentially who we are and so if most of our lives are spent going to work right obviously taking care of kids you know um let's say taking care of family members hobbies interests you name it i mean for the most part what we're going to do is we're never really going to examine those beliefs we're never going to ask ourselves like why do we believe what we believe like why is this my moral code or not that why is it that like this culture does this and my culture does that and so what's so cool about your cocktail conversations is just like what i think psychotherapy is it actually opens up space and it helps people or it gives provides people the platform to actually think about these things and 
and to not necessarily even challenge their beliefs, but just to examine them and ask themselves, okay, first of all, how, why do we believe what we believe? Like, is this like an indicator or function of reality? But then also, how do they serve us? Like, what do these beliefs do for us? Are they, and nothing is obviously black and white. So it's not like one belief is, well, I mean, it could be, but some beliefs could be, let's say, more toxic than others. And the question is like, how do we examine them, right? Are these beliefs kind of serving us as a community or are they driving us apart? Are these beliefs, let's say, conducive to mental health or are these beliefs fostering mental illness? And mm -hmm. so I'm assuming that's what you guys do in those conversations. You kind of figured these things out. Right. And then like you said, it is a lot harder to try to change adults. Yep. Um, so more so it's like I'm not coming to you saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. But, you know, here's another way to look at it. Here's another another ideal or another lens to look through and, you know, not condemning people on saying, you know, you're wrong, this, is, this isn't the way you should be living, or you shouldn't act this way, because it is really tough to change the mind of a person who has believed this to be right for all of their lives. This is what they were taught by people that they love and that they trust. This is the way that you behave in the world. This is how you act. This is how you believe. Um, and then to have somebody that you don't know or someone you don't know that, that well to say, nope, that's wrong. It's not true. Just yeah. follow that. It's really, really tough. Where you have kids, you have like a clean canvas almost. You know, some of them have a little mess on the canvas, but nothing that you can't say, hey, well, maybe draw the line this way. We can change this whole picture. And now you have an adult with a canvas with very little room, but just enough room that you can kind of plant a seed to say, you know, maybe look at it, you know, not telling you what to do, but here's how I look at it. And this is why I feel that, you know, this, this way works for me. So you don't have to follow it, but, you know, here's just a thought. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. That's that's something that my college mentor did for me. What, do you In what way? Oh, so, um, oh, God. Okay, so this is a bit embarrassing. So a long time ago, a long, long time ago, I was like, I'm a libertarian. So, like, I pretty much I believed in the free market and pretty much that we didn't need a social safety net yada yada so um so my mentor is like he's just a really wonderful person and so for him for like he's brilliant and so but he's also like a genuinely good person so he would give me books and he'd be like look man i just want to give you this book you don't have to read it he's like but look at it like this right he's like if you really believe in your view then what it'll do is it'll kind of help you sort of see what it's like on the other side right it'll sort of help you develop arguments for that side or i'm sorry against that side and he's like you know if anything it'll just make you more well-rounded what's the worst that can happen and he would do this like over and over and over again he'd be like oh, you never want to really talk to me about your beliefs and I was like really defensive and shut off and then so eventually I ended up reading a book that he gave me called The Self-Made Myth so the, it pretty much posits that the self-made individuals it's a lie it's a cultural lie that kind of Americans have perpetuated from like God knows when the 20s the Horatio algorithms and so it, it's written by pretty much by well it's not it's written by researchers but a, um, like billionaires um, I think it was so Warren not Warren Buffett yeah Warren Buffett contributed to it and so did like Bill Gates Sr. and I think Abigail Disney did too and so the whole notion behind the book was there's no such thing as a self-made person. So self-made individuals, whatever, you know, it's a misnomer. But the idea is that billionaires, billionaires, etc., they had a lot of help and a lot of breaks and a lot of luck along the way. And so for a libertarian, right, that's not really the idea. The idea is you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you're the one who makes shit happen. So this book actually kind of pretty much negated all of that. And it said, yeah, to some extent, of course, that's true. I mean, talent matters, obviously, sort of determinism, you know, kind of industrious, industriousness matters. 
matters. But the idea is that behind all of that, right, is a ton of support that these people aren't just self-made. It doesn't just life doesn't everything is sort of interconnected and everything works together. Mm -hmm. So um, so when it kind of comes to challenging beliefs, right, a lot of the times those um, those kind of more fundamental beliefs are the ones that are the most difficult to challenge because they essentially challenge your worldview. So for me at the time, the worldview was that pretty much successful people, they were just people who got there on their own. Hence that if I want to be successful, I'm the one who can do that too, right? Which is obviously, it's not that simple because social mobility is what it is for a reason. There's a reason why it's like pretty stable and fixed, right? Not fully, obviously. There's definitely, um, there's room for uh, there's room for change there, but the idea is for the most part, there actually isn't. And so when it comes to like these more fundamental beliefs of seeing the world, those are incredibly difficult to change. Like we were saying earlier with masculinity, right? So because if you're saying that what you're asking from a person when you're asking them to examine their belief of masculinity is you're asking them to examine their belief of themselves. So if they conceptualize themselves as a, let's say, masculine male, what that means is that now their whole worldview of themselves is wrong, or rather their general view of themselves is wrong. It's definitely coming into question, yeah. and that makes people uncomfortable. Super right. uncomfortable, because it's like, if we're talking about a sense of safety, right? If let's say we need our beliefs about ourselves, other people, the world around us, if we need them to feel safe in order for, you know, let's say the world to be predictable, then getting rid of those beliefs or trying to sort of reshape them and reframe them into whatever else makes it much more scary, right? So it's like, even if we're... This sort of, I guess, if I'm thinking about masculinity, the way we kind of like perceive it, right? If somebody feels stuck in that pattern of, you know, kind of toxic masculinity, I can imagine the idea is like, oh, but what if I'm not able to change? What if I'm not able to do these other things that are supposedly now the more healthy behaviors, right? What if I'm just like going to be this person forever? And then it's like, what am I going to do, right? Do I live with that sort of ambiguity and that discomfort? Or do I just now attack you for telling me that my view of masculinity is wrong? Hmm. Yeah. Yolanda, what do you think? I think more times it's the latter. Yeah. It becomes very defensive. Um, like you said, nobody wants their foundation questioned. Yeah. It does force you to kind of look at yourself, and nobody wants to do that. You're 40, 50 years, years old, and now you're going to tell me that this is the, not the right way to think. Or So, of course, you're going to be the liar. You're going to be the person that is um, making up whatever. You're the person causing chaos. That are, that's trying to go against the grain um, and you'll find more people ready to attack you because of that but you know I'm hopeful for the small percent of people who allow the, the knowledge to come in who allow the seeds to be planted and you may not agree with what I say but you heard it and something about what I said or something that the speakers have said or maybe someone who sat at the table with you in the room something that they said is going to resonate and it may not be today, but sooner or later, something will happen to you and you'll think back to that conversation. Or I just, I don't know, I just feel like everything is connected in the world. You'll be on the train going to work and you'll overhear a conversation of something similar that, you know, that you thought about, that you heard at this thing. And it'll kind of just connect for you and say, you know what, it makes sense. There's a reason why I heard this, this piece of the conversation that they had and that it was relatable to something I went to last year or the year before yeah and it's kind of like with music like that like sometimes you hear a song and you're like oh this just kind of sounds nice but then if you hear it a few i don't know anything weeks days sometimes even years later and you're like wow my god that's what the meaning of the song was like this is incredible and it kind of touches you in a way that it wouldn't have like if you when you actually heard it like a year or two before or whatever the time frame was Oh, I know what you mean. Like it, it sounded like really good. So yeah. you're like more into like the beat or like how the song or the chorus went or something mm -hmm. like that. But then you actually listen to it like 
much later and you're like you actually listen to the lyrics yes you're like what i didn't know it was about that mm-hmm. and then like all of a sudden like it has a whole different meaning for you mm-hmm. and then and even yeah. sometimes you understand what the lyrics mean but it just it doesn't have any effect on you you're like okay that's like kind of cool it sounds interesting right and it's like you kind of just you drop it off and then you just go pick up something else mm-hmm. but then if it's like pertinent to whatever you're going through at that particular time you're like whoa my god like this song is super meaningful like now i understand like why this was important yeah yeah and so now that, I mean, now we're talking about kind of music and stuff. So who are some of your inspirations and sort of people who gave you ideas that obviously kind of fostered not only maybe your blog, but the cocktail conversations, your poetry, obviously kind of just your writing as a whole? Um, music, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tupac Shakur. Mm-hmm. How so? I grew up um, um, on Tupac, I was in Jersey my whole life, so most people would assume like I'm a big Biggie fan. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I only ever listened to a full album of his probably last year, the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, so my parents were like big rap fans as well, mm-hmm. and Tupac was just, you know, he was that guy. And he was hard, and he was thorough, but he also cared about community, he also cared about people, and he was a poet. And one of my favorite songs um, from Tupac is Keep Your Head Up. Mm-hmm. And I always say that no matter, whenever I have a hard day, that's one of the first songs that I play. I'm like, he's talking just to me. When he says his little goddaughter, he meant to say Yolanda because he's <laughs> talking to me. Uh-huh. It's one part in the song where he says, um, I think we can make it, in fact, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And if you fall, so I'll come back for more. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like, like my mantra. Um, you know, the hard part is waking up. Everything else can be figured out. So, like I said, just humanitarian efforts and just being engaged with the community and just helping other people has just always been second nature for me. I, I was raised that way. My parents are that way. Yeah. So it's never been a grand gesture. It's just what you do is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I connect with people who are also like that. So Tupac Shakur was very much like that, very much had a concern about the state of black people, had a concern, not just a concern to point out um, the issues and the flaws in the system, but also solutions as well. Mm-hmm. So Tupac Shakur, Beyonce, I love Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Um, her work ethic is impeccable. Um, the way that she does some things, you know, in front of the camera, but a lot of her humanitarian efforts are done behind the camera. And that's just, you know, another, um, of how I was raised. If you help people, you help them. You're not doing it for broadcast. You're not doing it for social media. Yeah. You know, a, a phrase I heard in church a long time ago where you don't let your, your right hand see what your left is doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, what did that mean to you? Um, it was, if I'm helping with my left hand, is there's no reason for me to use this. I'm helping you right here. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so Tupac and uh, Nipsey Hussle. Mm-hmm. Okay, Nipsey Hussle, GZ. Specifically with Nipsey Hussle. Now, I was not a fan of his music in the sense of I did not listen to his music mm-hmm. while he was alive. I was um, open and, you know, I, I looked a lot into his community efforts. Mm-hmm. And I just, not because I didn't like his music, I just never, you know, it wasn't mainstream for a long time. It wasn't on the radio. Yeah. It wasn't on live on seven on a regular basis mm-hmm. so this is where I get my music from and I live in Jersey like I said I listen to a lot of New Jersey rappers underground up and coming guys from like my neighborhood 
Um, and it just it just was never anything like I said where oh, oh I don't like the sound of his music. I just never listened. I've always seen like the work that he was doing. Yeah. But that was it, and I've always you know just respected his hand in the community. And then um, when he died, I was at the Millennium Tour concert. Um, and I heard right before I went in that he died. And it's just one of those things like, you know, he won't be okay. We're going to leave out of here at the end of the night, and they're going to say that he's going to be all right. Yeah. Um, they just performed Lloyd, Ashanti, um, Ja Rule, and, and someone else was out there. And then, and, you know, they started talking at the end of the set, just saying that we all know that he was shot. And I'm like, you know, just still, like, not really connecting just yet. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah, I saw earlier that he was shot, and then they say, like, RIP. And then at that moment, it was like the world's hat frozen. Um, concert ended. I went home and I listened to everything. And immediately, I'm like, I missed out all of like on all of this great music from this person who I knew was a great person in the community. Um, but I, I I missed out on the chance to be an active fan. Yeah. Um, and I just listened to everything that was on title. I listened to, Insta- to um, videos on Instagram and all that, comments from everybody. And it's like a person like this feel it. A lot of people um, related it to when, when Pop was murdered. And I was probably like five years old. Mm-hmm. Of course, I didn't feel the impact of what the world had just lost. Yeah. In this moment of of knowing his, his contributions to his community um, and the way that he uplifted not just, you know, the culture, but people across the world. Um, and then to listen to his music and then to hear a lot of the things that he had to say. And it's like, I feel this deeply. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we really just took a hit. We took a serious hit right now. Yeah. And, yeah. and if it's okay with you, may I also ask, because I remember seeing on your Instagram that Afini Shakur was also a big influence for you too. So, uh, so how so? Like, what, what sort of, what part of her work was it that was influential for you and your work? Um, so I've always been interested in reading about powerful um, black leaders, mm-hmm. and in reading Malcolm X, and then reading about um, the Black Panther Party, and reading Asada Shakur, and you know, just all of these things. I'm always interested in what, what these people were like. You know, you have all these articles written by people who don't know them or people who are spectators. Um, but I picked up her book mm-hmm. and I had the book for probably about a year before I read it. Mm-hmm. I put the book, I think, right before she passed away, but I didn't read it until the following year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just raw and it was real and it was unapologetic mm-hmm. and it was her truth. Yeah. And that's what I respect about people tell their truth no matter how ugly it is um no matter how much it goes against the grain no matter how much it's not the norm and she was very very open and i was receptive to that and there was one part of the book i can't remember the chapter i don't have it with my hand um but she basically um she sat with a person maybe a sponsor and they, they told her you know to write down all of your secrets and not just like the surface level secrets but the, the things that you wouldn't tell a soul the things that you expected to carry to your grave mm-hmm. you write those things out and then I did that and I didn't share it with anybody but it forces you to 
hold yourself accountable. And not only do you hold yourself accountable, but you free yourself in a way of acknowledging, you know, these these things that I'm never talking about this. And it could be something from 20 years ago. And you kind of forget about it sometimes until you really just have to, to sit back and what are my deepest secrets? Why do I have these things? And, you know, I don't have to go from to the world, but I do need to acknowledge them and say them aloud to myself to free myself from it. Because you can't, and she also had this thing where she, she didn't lie to people. <laughs> you can't lie to people because they have nothing to hold over you. If you tell people the raw, honest truth, nothing can be used against you. Nothing can ever come back and say, well, well, you said or, or, you know, you did this or you did that when the story is always the same consistently across the board. Truth. There's no reason to lie. Yeah. So I really, um, I really enjoyed her book. Um, at, at that point, I, um, I had reached out to Seth Shakur. Um, she had a portion of the book as well. I haven't read it. I think you should. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. And she was just talking about in the book about um, there was one part where she'd asked someone, you know, why am I so sad? And the person was told, because your brother died. And she's like, well, I've been sad before, before then. And then that's what, you know, a part of what connected me with her as well. And just that, you know, yeah, I do feel sad sometimes. And I have these, these unexplainable moments of I'm sad and I don't know why. And I'm crying and I don't know why. And, you know, but, you know, life is good. You're fine. You're working. I don't know why I feel like this. I don't know why. So I know I'm, I'm all over the place. But the, her realness and how lost she was and honest and vulnerable and putting out this body of work and telling her truth to the world, even it open for whoever to judge and to criticize, but to still unapologetically just be authentic to herself enough to share. And you know, have people like myself to read these words and to receive them and to take certain aspects of things that she did to, uh, you know, internalize them and to heal ourselves in a way. Yeah, and it's like when you kind of read the things that she said or the work that she's done. She's Pac is definitely her son, man. It's like, it's literally two peas in the pod. It's, and what's so cool about Pac was that I'm sure for him kind of obviously the way he kind of grew up and obviously the idea of masculinity and the culture that he grew up and i mean the fact that he was able to write poems like sometimes i cry right and he was able kind of to talk about those experiences the more vulnerable ones where so like on the one hand obviously he would go hard and he kind of he would obviously be brash and kind of unapologetic but then on the other hand he can kind of tell you about the times right where he felt the weakest and when he felt like you know kind of sort of that there was no power where he felt helpless pretty much and that he had no power in the world and so i mean for people who are tupac fans like his music is wonderful obviously that that kind of goes without saying but man so i feel like people should also read it too and look into his poetry because i thought that was amazing as well even more so i think what are some of your favorite Mm-hmm. Own your story and own life, your, your truth. Like we said earlier, it's not always sunshine and smiles. And how I said earlier with um, these things just, just being a survival tactic, some people you can say like, he can write a poem and say, you know, sometimes I cry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to look at the type of person that, that he was. You have to be firm and how I said, like it's you if you make yourself a victim then you'll be a victim if you 
walk around like a target, then you'll be a target. You don't have to be aggressive or hostile or nasty about it. But you can say, no, 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 I'm not okay. And that's fine. And sometimes I do cry unapologetically and fearlessly mm-hmm. because what do people want to do? Mm-hmm. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever received from anybody who was like, um, well, who was my friend at the time, I remember. So I was like super against this. And I was like, oh, vulnerability is such a weakness. Like, I don't understand why, like, this is a thing for people. You know, you got to kind of pretty much build yourself up rather than knock yourself down. But then if you kind of really think about it and actually go through the thought process, you kind of realize that actually vulnerability is the real strength, right? And this wasn't my insight. This was hers. And I mean, she was the one who convinced me of it. Because, I mean, if you kind of look back on it, right, or kind of think about your life, right, the moments where you weren't vulnerable were actually the easier ones when you sort of puffed your chest out and made it seem as though you were much tougher than you were where it's like when somebody like Pac obviously who can write a poem like that I can't imagine I'm sure because he's a human being that he must have felt some anxiety in putting that out there into the world because the sort of blowback that one can get from that especially in his position is immense the sort of potential for it Mm -hmm. so you need like intense courage for that in that position to be able to write a poem like that and to say you know what this is something that I feel like I don't not only that I want to share with the world but i feel like the world needs to hear and it frees you yeah. it definitely does free you like the burden sometimes of just getting these thoughts out and just putting them on paper and i i tell people this all the time like a friend recommended this for me sometimes when you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling anxious or you're angry or depressed or whatever it is write those things out take them outside and burn them oh that's dope wow. yeah mm-hmm. you free yourself of it and it's it's it's, I guess it's just the symbolism of it, of doing the actual thing, but of, of burning this paper and watching every piece of it disintegrate. Um, you know, you kind of just, this burden is lifted off my shoulder at this point. I don't have to hold on to this. I don't have to hold on to this anymore because I don't own it anymore. Yeah. And so uh, what did you take away from Nipsey's music after you started listening and became a fan? <sighs> Oh my goodness, so many great songs from the mixtape to mm-hmm. Victory Lap. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it, it gave me a new power. It gave me a new power. And I'm trying to just think back to the space that I was in before um, he, you know, he had been killed. Um, and I think maybe I was just in that space of, you know, things aren't bad, things are, are, are regular, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that limbo kind of thing. Um, but I definitely do feel empowered. Um, he also is someone I listen to on a regular basis to just give me that extra push to, you know, just go a little bit harder. And it's like, you know, you just don't give up. You can't give up. The quote that, um, Lauren London had mentioned at the funeral where she says, stay 10 tones down, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, for me, I feel myself getting lift up and it's like, no, you saw girl you're solid you can't be shaken and I give myself this little pep talk you know they say sometimes like you gotta fake it till you make it Mm -hmm. and if I don't feel it that day like I will blast Tupac on a subway Mm -hmm. and not care I will blast Nipsey Hussle and not care I will blast DMX and not care and it's it will just get so riled up and it's like I'm untouchable and I walk through the world and I feel like that I have a whole lineage of ancestors who protect me on a regular basis. I'm a good person. I'm, you know, I'm protected. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that I can't do in this world. Absolutely nothing. And this music just gets me going and it inspires me 
and it like I said it just pushes me to constantly be a better person um, and just to make my impact greater and a lot of times when I look at these things like I look at Tupac and Nipsey Hussle um, specifically and I question myself and what does your legacy look like Mm -hmm. if you were to leave this world what are you leaving behind that people will pick up the baton and they will keep going because that's what it's about it's not about Yolanda Dane. It's not about the sassy man. It's not about, you know, the girl from Newark. What did she leave here that people can hold on to that's going to continuously inspire them to do better? And that's cocktail conversations. And that's the blog. And that is, you know, the collection of poetry that I I don't read to people that, you know, maybe one day I'll share with people. Um, and just, just letting them know, like, you know, she was honest and she was vulnerable. Even though she hates being vulnerable, and it's something that I've struggled with all of my life, like I said, when you come from here, you can't walk around, you know, you can't walk around looking down. You can't look defeated. Yeah. You can't do that. So just owning sometimes, like, you know what, I'm not okay, and that's all right. Yeah. So having other people to, to just look at, you know, the way that I, I live my own life, not for other people and not because I want to meet the approval of someone, but because for myself. I want to leave a lasting impression on this world. I want to be a good person because it's what, what feels right to me. Yeah. I want people yeah. to say, you know what? Well, you know, she wasn't the richest person or she wasn't, you know, Beyonce, who's like my benchmark. <laughs> <laughs> like she wasn't Beyonce, but she was authentic. And she mm. gave us her true self. And it inspired me to, to give my true self. That's pretty much it for me. Yeah. And I know it's obviously, I think, hard for all of us to feel sometimes, but I do want to say, man, I'm really proud of you for the work that you do. It's really amazing. And just like even your writing, your writing is stellar. Like your your blogs are definitely captivating. So if ever you do get paid for it, somebody out there should literally pay you for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. So that was Yolanda Dene. So the last minute or so of the podcast got cut out due to technical issues, but wanted to just let you know that if you wanted to follow her, you can follow her at The Sassy Rant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Please like and subscribe. Hit the bell. Hit the bell on YouTube. And also, guys, you can find us at the O4L Online Network at O4LOnline.com. And you can find us under the podcast I think it's under the podcast no it's under the show section and you can find us at seize the moment podcast there so thank you guys for tuning in thanks guys thanks for watching episode 37 and tune in next week for episode 38